0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of FSW Conversations, brought to you by Fashion Strategy Weekly, which looks to bring practical, strategic, and research-based insights to leaders in the fashion and luxury industries. I am Jessica Quillen, co-publisher of Fashion Strategy Weekly and co-founder of Luxury Strategy Agency, It's a Working Title. In our fourth edition of FSW Conversations, I am talking to Alison Lowe, the Director of Careers and Enterprise for the School of Arts and Creative Industries at the University of East London. She's, a, she's well known as a, a supporter of creative talent and startup businesses in the UK and was recognized for her work by Her Majesty the Queen and named as one of the Maserati 100. So Alison, just to kick off, I'd love to start off with you introducing yourself and talking about your very impressive career in fashion. Um, you know, what are you doing now and how did you get here?
1: Okay, thank you so much, first of all, for inviting me to be part of this. I'm thrilled to be here. Um, I have a really diverse career background. I think these days we class it as a portfolio career. Um, But I worked through the performing arts when I first left school. Um, I have been a serial entrepreneur. I started my first business when I was 17 and have owned seven businesses since, selling some of them, closing others, and still own two today. And I have always been really passionate about the creative industries because even from my days back in the performing arts, I realized that I was actually an entrepreneur and not a very good actress or singer. Um, But lots of people who were really just couldn't get the jobs. They didn't understand how business worked, how to get out there. And so I've always been a really big advocate of supporting amazing talent and getting into their market that they wanted to get into. But I came into fashion, um, it's about 25 years ago now, when I was actually asked just to do a marketing consultancy project for a particular company, went to see them, explained general marketing, but I didn't understand because they were talking about Fashion Week. And um, I said, I didn't understand Fashion Week, never been to Fashion Week. And they invited me along and it fascinated me because I saw loads of amazing things happening, fabulous shows, beautiful people, lots of buzz, but very little business. And that was 25 years ago. And it intrigued me. So I got into the fashion industry. I looked particularly at the support for emerging fashion brands who seemed to have a real lack in business knowledge. So I set up an agency that just supported them. Over the last 20 years, we've been running that agency Alongside that, I've written books on how to start your own fashion label and fashion brand management. Um, That what the award was for my services to the fashion industry, my industry nominated me for which I'm eternally grateful and very proud. And now I've got to the position that I want to look at giving back more to the next generation. So I started working with some universities. And again, it was about the business skills and ensuring that next generation talent have really up-to-date business skills. So I've been working with various universities. And as you said, I'm now a director of careers and enterprise for one particular, the University of East London. And I've also just completed writing a new MBA in fashion entrepreneurship, because I think we need MBAs. I think we need to really professionalize and put a business focus on our industry. So that takes me to where I am today.
0: That's amazing. And I want to dive deeper into a bunch of things you just said, so I'm going to kind of pick them apart. (laughs) Um. So we first met at Fashion Week, uh, London Fashion Week specifically, and I realized it was over 13 years ago. When I was fashion editor for Glass Magazine and you were running Felicity's PR. Um, and you know, one of the things that fascinated me early on about the sort of business model for Felicity's PR, again, as you said, was your focus on young designers, obviously people like Charlie Cohen, as we were discussing before we even came on the air here, who've made a big success of things. And I, I'm just curious to dive a little bit deeper in terms of what inspires you about young creatives and not only how you support them, but kind of what you felt was missing from business resources and, you know, kind of what continues to be their need on that sort of initial business formation side there and, and how, you know, the work of Felicities has sort of started them on their journey. Okay. So I think the initial need that I really identified was
1: they either hadn't had any business training. They'd learned to be phenomenal designers, but they didn't have the business training or They had just ignored it while they were at university, while they were at fashion school, because to them, it wasn't relevant at the time. They just wanted to learn how to be a phenomenal designer. And so I realized that, first of all, they didn't have the skills. And the second part was they were being ripped off, that there were lots of people out there that were ready to grab money from them and promise them sales, promise them PR, promise them amazing things from Fashion Week, And they believed it. They were very naive. They'd believe it all. They'd hand over all the money. And actually, those people were there just to take their money and very rarely, you know, give them a good deal. So I wanted to have a real business with purpose, that we were really honest in what we did. We invested ourselves into the startup. So we gave them a very, very subsidized rate just to get that level of commitment that they paid something, but we invested in their growth and then we grew their fears; they grew so that we really were invested in them improving. And that ethos was all about it. It was about being really honest with them and trying to get them to understand what does work and what doesn't and how they need to be different. They can't keep copying the same as somebody else has done, that they needed a unique place in the market. And so that was what Felicity's um, did. Um, I still think there's a huge gap in the market for that. I'm, I'm, watching already who's going to be showing at London Fashion Week. And you see lots of these young designers who have no idea that there won't be buyers in town at London Fashion Week. They, The international buyers don't come in vast numbers these days. So for a young designer, it can be very, very difficult to make a good return on investment in being part of Fashion Week. So I think, unfortunately, there's still that level of t- being taken advantage of in the industry.
0: What do you think, I, I mean, and actually just to kind of dive a little bit deeper on that, I mean, one of the things that, for instance, I mean, as you know, because I, I, we were talking a little bit about Web3 before, one of the things that excites me about sort of these sort of uh, digital showroom ideas, I think for young designers is particularly a, a more accessible way of sort of bringing in buyers. And I'm just curious for your take on sort of, you know, fashion technology like that, um, especially for young designers just starting out to, to be able to sort of come to market faster and, and kind of more visibly to a, a wider international market who may not be at Fashion Week.
1: I think there is potential for them to use those digital platforms. The problem is, is the buyer still needs to see the product and look at it and touch it and feel it. So one of the things that happened during the pandemic is obviously everybody stopped doing fashion week and the trade shows and they all flooded onto all the different platforms. But most of the buyers only went on the brand sites that they actually already knew because they knew exactly what product they were getting at the end of it. So yes, longer term, I mean, it can be a huge cost saving, it can really broaden and widen the market that they can appeal to, but they still have to get over that level of the buyer wants to see the construction, the fit of a piece, um, and, you know, what's the touch of it? So, you know, new technology coming in along that, around these tactile gloves and things that you can try. Um, But I have seen some brands do it well when they've really... Use the opportunity to show fit, to have online backup meetings with buyers, have models there, still trying on the clothes; They can see the fit and adjustments on that way. But it's still difficult because they need to have a proven customer base and they need to know what that fit is going to be like. No, that makes sense.
0: Um, you know, and I'm just curious because I know you're still running Felicities now, and I'm just curious, like, how has your business model itself evolved, you know, kind of for today's young designers and kind of what how has your work sort of evolved over time?
1: Okay, so the agency has evolved totally. So we used to have we used to really focus on the PR side. Behind that PR, we used to explain that there's no point going to market and doing marketing and PR until you have a good business in place. So we'd always do the business structure first and then tend to PR. The world of PR has moved on too. So even before the pandemic, we had decided to close the showroom because it isn't economically viable anymore to have a beautiful premises. We used to have an amazing showroom with the collections hanging there Um, because, you know, it just, we we have to charge so much for that. And that just wasn't viable anymore. So a lot of our business now has converted to actually just consultancy and advising. So teaching brands how to do it themselves, teaching them, how to reach out to stylists, etc., themselves. And we've had some amazing cases of that. I remember one brand and she was like, oh, I I, I love Patricia Field. And I was like, so just reach out to her. She was like, oh, what do I say? How do I do that? And I said, you just go onto her DM and go, hi, I have a fabulous brand I'd like to show you. And um, Patricia Field is walking around currently in one of her coats around New York Fashion Week. Amazing. You know, they it's just sometimes giving them that confidence, giving them the tools that they need to do it and not be paying over the odds for a showroom that just doesn't have the value anymore. So, we've evolved quite a lot.
0: Oh, that's amazing. And, you know, one of the things I love about sort of your approach to everything is is how generous you are. But I think when it comes to just sharing your knowledge, I mean, you wrote what how your start how, your book, How to Start Your Fashion Label, in 2019. And obviously, you've had Two more sort of academic post focused books um since then um you know, and I'm just curious um from your standpoint, what inspired you to write your books, but also just in terms of that need for practical advice like you know your 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 advice is always sort of very straightforward, very actionable, and I'm just wondering what has inspired you to sort of turn your your expertise from consulting into sort of you know writing because that's a that's um, a very different sort of um approach, so yeah. So there's
1: there's two sides of it. So there's the the first book, How to Start Your Own Fashion Label. That is targeted purely at designers. It's in very basic language. It isn't research based. It's not academic in any way. It was written as a guide that a designer could think, I need to do marketing. What do I do for marketing? How do I reach out to a wholesaler? And um, so it's written that they can they can read it from start to finish if they want, but it actually they can pick it up and do a chapter of what they need for their business with very practical tools and the reason for writing that was because I'd actually been asked for it for 10 years like please can we have a book oh it'd be so much better if we just had this book we had more people trying to come to felicities than we could ever handle so it just seemed a natural progression <laughs> I mean in some ways it was interesting because if I'd waited a year later I could have written it in the pandemic instead of this panic of writing it <laughs> um, while we were still delivering the service um But it's it's quite interesting because I wrote it based on a business model that has actually become the business model post pandemic. It was almost like I'd predicted that this is the way that brands should be working and that they shouldn't rely on certain standard channels like fashion wigs, like wholesale, that they, you know, look at this direct retail market. So that book is brilliant and it still continues to sell really well globally. um, I get lots of feedback from designers that say they do just love it. It's a Bible on their desk. They pick it up and go, what would Alison tell me to do today with my business? The academic textbooks are slightly different because they were to that I teach on. And obviously the universities like to have very set academic research. So that's been a completely different approach for me to go down that road and find all the academic research to support it. But I've still kept it in my language, in my way of speaking. So we had a few backwards and forwards with the editor going like, no, no, that's not my language. I don't want to use that. So it is still my voice, but it has that academic research to back it up. So it can be used for courses now.
0: No, that's amazing. Um, you know, and you were talking earlier about the need for an MBA and in, in, in fashion. And, you know, I, I love that you've shifted your focus over the past few years into teaching. Um, and I'm, I would love for you to sort of dive deeper into sort of, you know, not only why you decided to shift into teaching, but kind of w- what you feel is missing from the fashion education system and kind of, you know, how ideas like an MBA may sort of start to fill those gaps.
1: Okay, so um the reason I sort of shifted was was a gradual. I mean, I started giving masterclasses, um, people saying, Can you just pop in and do a talk? So I'd started off just doing those occasionally till it just got London College of Fashion were just asking me, can you do like five classes a week and can you write this new program for us? And and I was, you know, working in about 30 different universities, and not just in the UK but around the world, I was doing online talks for them. And I actually really loved it. I remember when I was first asked, would I give a lecture by a lovely gentleman called Tony Glenville, which I'm I'm sure you know from Fashion Week. Um, And I was like, oh, that's not me. I'm not a teacher. I don't like teaching. I wouldn't like doing that. I love it. I absolutely love it. It gives me great pleasure. It's really great to see students go on. One of the things that I thought was missing from the education system is unfortunately, though they may be amazing academics and they you know knew the industry they have been academics often too long and they don't know what's actually going on in the industry today so the thing that i think is missing around the world is still to have really up to date this is the industry because i still see particularly designers being taught very old-fashioned business models that we don't use anymore um and so i think that was the gap so In creating the MBA, for me, it was really important that we talked about all the new business models. We look at circular fashion. We're looking at social purpose, all the new legislation that is coming in around the goal, uh, around the globe, and that make it really realistic. So the graduates from that MBA go into business, actually bringing perhaps more up-to-date information than the business itself might have. And I think that's really important. You don't want a graduate coming into your business that isn't up-to-date. So that's what the MBA is all about, current, up-to-date, and
0: future-looking. I love that. And it's industry-specific, which I think is, you know, it's something we, we talk about a lot in our publication, um, just sort of the need for things to be, um, you know, specifically attuned to sort of the, the specific way in which fashion and luxury um, operates. You know, I'm, I mean, it's it's it has so many idiosyncrasies and ways that the business works, unlike other industries. And I, I love that you're kind of bringing that to it. So. Yeah.
1: I mean, it was, it was really interesting because when I first approached reading it, I was told that it wasn't a need for it in the industry because nobody studied an MBA from fashion. And I said, yes, that's the whole point because an ordinary MBA, though it has some very good generic business tools, which we're still teaching them, it doesn't have that fashion focus, which is what is really needed. And so it took a bit of a fight to get a university and to get through the accreditation process when they said there's no proven market. And I said, because nobody's offered it.
0: No, I think that's amazing. I mean, look, as I was explaining before, I mean, the whole kind of ethos behind my company is trying to get fashion luxury to do something that it doesn't normally do when it comes to Content strategy, for instance, which for me is a a key part of that sort of overarching business strategy, particularly within today's um, fashion luxury kind of business industry, because brands, in a sense, are content machines and they are under sort of demands to cross channels. And, you know, for us, content is everything from the clothing you produce to the words that you put out on social media. And, And having a unified approach helps kind of Get your brand storytelling in the right way but it also helps you as a brand manage it across channels in a way that allows you to sort of grow and scale but again it's a lot of education from our end to tell the industry that thinks it has everything under control that actually this is missing and yeah so i, I have a lot of respect for that. Um, that that i totally i totally agree with that because one of the struggles that i have with people
1: now in the industry is stop focusing on your product because nobody's going to buy your product without a good story. So you need the content, you need the storytelling, because otherwise the product is never going to sell. It's the experience first. Yes. What's your experience of your brand? What's your story of your brand? What's unique about your brand? And when the consumer gets that, then they'll be interested in your product. But we still have that industry that is product focused.
0: Yes, very much so. And I I think so much of the industry has, I mean, from our end has, at least when it comes to sort of Digital content taking such an additive approach to social media, like we're just gonna add this channel over here. So we built this team and 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 it creates a very sort of diffuse approach for consumers. But also I think it then brands just sort of think of content as a marketing thing and not as something that's actually like brand storytelling. And they separate the two when in fact it's the same thing. I mean, a consumer yeah, who encounters your brand in the store thinks of it as the same as the brand they encounter on Instagram. And yet internally within brands, it's it's very um disjointed and siloed. So I think that. I love that you have that centralized business mindset from the NBA because I think that's the sort of holistic kind of integrated approach that fashion businesses need from formation to to be able to make sure they have that foundation um, together. Um, And since we only have a few minutes left, um, I just I had to ask you about receiving your MBE from the Queen because in in 2017, because that was amazing to watch from afar. And, you know, I I just what was it like to meet the Queen, obviously, but also what does that mean to you um, and being recognized for your services to the fashion industry? Because we all know how amazing you are. Just it it was just really incredible (laughs) to see you get that. It was much deserved. The MBE was absolutely amazing because it comes
1: from your industry. It has to be 15, at least 15 letters of nomination that have to go, first of all, to the prime minister. It goes to number 10. They check you out, make sure you're an honest, credible person. And then it goes through to the royal family. So the fact that it came from my industry was amazing. Um, The experience, terrifying. I mean, I've spoken on the O2 in front of 13,000 people. And that little lady was far more frightening than that hotel experience. Um, there's a lot of protocol around it. They tell you, you know, you, literally to the number of steps you have to take, like three steps, turn, curtsy, three steps forward. So your brain is going around with all of these things and terrified you're going to miss the right thing. Um, but she was phenomenal. I mean, she, she, they, they've done the research, and the first thing she asked me, she stepped forward and said, oh, I believe you work with emerging fashion brands it must be a very difficult market for them at the moment what is their biggest challenge and i was absolutely like oh. wow you 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 know who i am and, and and about my business so it was an incredible experience and
0: one i am very honored and very proud of achieving that's amazing um and just as a final takeaway i'd love your advice for anyone looking to start their own fashion label in 2024 you know Uh, Where should they start? And, you know, what should they do and not do in just a a very quick kind of closing statement? Okay. Do your research. Make sure
1: that you really understand your customer. Customer comes first, not just your product. So don't do it the other way around. Create your product, then try to find the customer. Think, is there a customer? Is the need? What do they need? And create your product accordingly. Know the market. Know what's going on. Be reading absolutely everything you can. because our fashion industry is in a state of transition like lots of things are changing lots of new business models coming in and you really need to be visionary and looking forward um, and not just following old-fashioned business models and get support um i always say there's a there's a saying that it takes a village to raise a family and i say it takes a city to raise a business get as much help get support get mentors reach out to people because It's hard and you need every bit of help you can get.
0: That's amazing. I love that. Um, And thank you so much for your time, Alison. It it was truly uh, an honor to talk to you today.
1: Thank you for inviting me. It was an honor to be here. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much.